Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo starts now. now. Straight up, 2 o'clock on this Thursday in Phoenix. Good afternoon, everybody. John Gambadoro and Howard Balzer is going to be filling in for Burnsy today. A little unique situation. Harold is not here in the studio. He is at home. I th- Do you got COVID? Yeah, it's 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 finally on its last legs. I think Gambo. Uh, finally, after like nine, almost ten days, the fever broke this morning of all places of all times. And I said, "Well, I'm not taking a chance. I, I got to see no fever for a few days before I venture out and be around Dang. people." And so it hasn't been that horrible, but it's just lingered and lingered and lingered. And so now I'm just thankful to be yeah. at the end of it. The, fir- the first I, the first time I've been hit with it in, since you know in three years, and it was pretty. Did you wild. Get it? I, I never got it. Like all these people, everybody I know, ha- I never got it. I never had this thing. So I, like, I'm around everybody that has it. I've never gotten. I might be immune to it. I don't know. He might be. And I, I always, I know I always had a strong immune system. And I don't know how much that week before I, I got hit with it Monday morning after the Super Bowl when I started coughing. Oh, you're and probably around a lot of people too. Yeah, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, that whole week here, there, and everywhere, and the game, and and this and that, and so, and the worst part of course is my wife got it from me and she's been a little worse shape than me oh i would and totally so blame you if i was her <laughs> she I'd is be, yeah <laughs> so remember there's always somebody to blame for everything in life there's always somebody to blame she exactly. can blame you Exactly. So, uh, but anyway, I'm I'm glad to be feeling a lot better. Glad to be with you for uh, the next few hours and the first time, I guess. I mean, to hear you, you know, always when I'm driving around or whatever, listening to the show and hear Bernsey opening it up at two o'clock with straight up two o'clock. Just hearing you say that really just got me going. Got uh, me going. There we I, go. I, I feel like Jonathan Gannon now. Yeah. I, I just feel I just feel ready for bear. Absolutely. We're motivated. <laughs> We're ready to get you through this day. We're going to make this work no matter what. I mean, I'm not usually a driver. You know, of a show, but I, I could do it on occasion. I'm, you know, Bernsey's my comfort zone because he drives everything. I got to read these buzz reads and break on time and get back. I got all this responsibility now that I don't really like to have. But let's tell you what our top story of the day is. Burns and Gambo, the weigh-in. Brought to you by Revitalize Weight Loss. His name is Michael Bidwell. He's the owner of your Arizona Cardinals. And it is Newsmakers Week. And, of course, our great friends, Bickley and Murata, do an outstanding job. And uh, they had Michael Bidwell in studio today. We're going to lead with this because there's some stuff that me and you are going to want to break down and talk about. And the most fascinating thing to me, and I'm going to start right with the, with the, with the heavy stuff. Why they did not hire Sean Payton? The issues around um, uh, around Coach Payton were had nothing to do with the money, the compensation that we would be paying him. It was mm-hmm. all the compensation, the the draft compensation to right. the Saints, and we just weren't willing to go with with what the Saints wanted uh, us to give up. It would would have been too costly to the team for us to rebuild that roster, and and it was really a series of trade offs. And I still felt like we've got great coaches out there. That that can that can you know get this team turned around? I think we were right when you look at JG. 
Now, I would love to know, Howard. I would love to know what they wanted. I would love right. to just, what did they want? What, what, what were they, what did they, did they want the third pick? Did they want your first next? What did they want? But either way, I was pretty adamant about this. Like, I, like, if, if you could have got Sean Payton without giving up the draft pick compensation, fine, hire him. This Arizona Cardinals team is, is, is void of talent. They need talent. I was not willing to give up first round draft picks for Sean Payton. I would have rather hired another coach. Now, I may be wrong if Sean Payton and kicks ass in Denver and puts together a great staff. They just hired Vance Joseph as their defensive coordinator today. I might end up being wrong. We may look back on this and it would have been worth it to give up the compensation for Peyton. But me, looking at this Cardinals roster, I did not want them to give up heavy draft pick compensation for a coach. And, And I can understand you and many people thinking that way and the Cardinals. And the third pick of the draft, well, here's the bottom line. Here's the way I looked at it. Because when you see what the Broncos gave up, they gave up the 29th pick in the first round. And so the Cardinals pick in the second round. Like five, six picks later, yeah. Exactly. Five picks later. So I look at it and say, if you could have gotten Sean Payton for that second round pick, and and then the other picks in it, what the you know the Broncos sent a pick, but then they got one back. But that's from a the big Saints. if. That's a big if. I mean, because then they would have had to say we did not get a first round pick. And remember, the precedent: Belichick, Parcells, Gruden has always been a first round pick. So if they would have came away with a second round pick, even though it was only like five or six spots later, they would have not have been able to say, you know, the precedent, we did not get a first round pick for our coach. We got a second round pick. I don't know if that would have flew or not. I just don't know, which is why I would have loved for Michael Bidwell to tell us what did they right. want from you? Exactly. And that's that that is the unknown of it, because like you said, it's it's five picks different. Is is per, does perception matter that much in a trade like that? But the Cardinals made the decision they made. He feels good about it now because, as he said there in that clip, well, we knew there were other good coaches out there. But the bottom line is we can all feel great right now, Gambo. We can all feel wonderful about how energetic Jonathan Gannon is and now he's bringing in this young coaching staff that he has said he's going to bring in guys with major, major experience. I think we're all wondering what that is going to look like. Yeah. But whatever it is, this is going to be a pretty young staff. Now, what he's pointed out is, hey, we were the youngest staff in the league in Philadelphia. Obviously, if they can come anywhere even close to duplicating what the Eagles did, then you can argue, hey, they made the right move. But there's no guarantees in anything. All of this sounds great on paper now, and everybody's all energized and excited. But as you point out, there's still a tremendous, tremendous amount of work to be done on the player side of all this. Yeah, and, Jonathan, and that's, that's the key. That's John, the key. Jonathan Gaddon also hinted that he was offered more money to stay in Philadelphia. So I kind of doubt a little bit that when Michael Bidwell said, well, we will, it wasn't the compensation for him. We were willing to pay what it, 15 plus million dollars. So I don't know that he would have gone there. I really don't believe that he would have. But here's some more insight into what the Saints were looking for in a patent trade. Well, when they're asking a lot, it was... It was <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, we're gonna have yeah. some, a couple of conversations, and we're gonna we're gonna see if we can we can structure this in a different way. Which was was some of the ideas that that I brought. They were unwilling to to structure it in a different way. And you know, while we were hoping that that uh, you know there there wasn't uh, you know uh, somebody out there that would pay that compensation because you know we knew if there was you know we're we're probably out of it. And then and then it, it, that oh. all came together with Denver. 
Yeah, all they needed was somebody. Who was, so, so Michael looks like that they wanted to structure it a little bit differently and give up less compensation than what the norm is, and the Saints wanted no part of that. That's that's that is the way it looks, and like you said, we'll never really know what the Saints were trying to get, and I'm sure they probably tried to get more from Denver than than they ended up getting, but they ended up coming to the agreement, which ended up, in my mind, that that ends up to me looking like a pretty fair deal uh, for both sides. And while the Broncos do give up a first round pick, it's late in the round, and who knows who that that player would be? There's certainly never a guarantee. I, I I would always say getting an experienced coach like Sean Payton can make up for maybe a, a player or two in the draft that will will be good players for you. Well, if you do if you do a good enough job in the draft and with all the picks you have, you and the free agent and free agency and whatever trades and everything else, you should be able to build a pretty good roster. But they decided to go this way yeah. with it, and now the his future is going to tell us whether that was the best move. Listen, this is going to be real simple. It's just going to take time. You know, a whole, it's just going to take time. The Texans hired D'Amico Ryans. You know, the Broncos got Peyton. The, the Colts got Steichen. We've got the, the Cardinals got. We'll look at the coaching cycle. We'll look at the five new hires. And in two or three years, you all of those guys are not going to still going to be there. We know this. That's and right. Somebody's going to get fired in two years. Somebody's going to get fired in three. Like nobody's going to. Not all of these guys are going to last the length of the contract. So if Sean Payton's the last guy standing, you may look back and you may regret this. If you, if you hired a coach that you have to fire in two to three years because it didn't work out, then you may go back and you may regret that you didn't hire Sean Payton. So right now, it looks great. It sounds great. But you know this, having gone through this, every year there's coaching cycles. And not all of those coaches last their full contract. A lot of them get fired after one year, two years, three years. Yep. And if the Cardinals are one of those teams, then you're going to look back and you may regret that you didn't hire Sean Payton. I do think, Gambo that I believe this very strongly, that Monty Ossenfort was a guy saying to Michael Bidwell, yeah, you'd like to get Sean Payton, but I know these other guys we're going to be interviewing. We will find a good coach. And I, I, I think this, this hire, this, this, has John, this has Monty Ossenfort written all over it with Jonathan Gannon. All the things that have come out with him wanting to meet him last year, to know about him. They obviously waited for the Super Bowl to be done, to be able to interview him and put it off and put put everything off and weren't going to hire anybody. It's probably a big reason why Brian Flores made the decision that he made. He wasn't going to wait around. And so they were waiting on Jonathan Gannon. And I think that... Monty Ford sold Mike. I'm not not well. I'm not, I'm not saying that Jonathan Gannon didn't sell himself to Michael Bidwell, but Monty sold Jonathan Gannon in, in a large way to Michael Bidwell in terms of believing that this can be the this is the right guy to lead this team, and that the way he will run this team will be the way you want this organization to be run. So I I think Ford the, the Monty Ford era will be strongly defined by how this head coaching decision works out, but obviously a lot of it will depend on the players that Monty Austin Ford brings to this roster that will give all these coaches the ability to play consistent winning football. Terrence Ross, the uh, Suns, one of the Suns' newest players, is going to join us at 2.30. Just announced Guns N' Roses are heading to Chase Field on October 11th. Tickets go on sale tomorrow, 10 a.m., but you could win a pair now by texting ROSES 
Rose to 620-620. That's Roses to 620-620. Welcome to the Jungle Guns and Roses fans. Will Chris Paul be able to keep his uh, patented nickname if the Suns don't win at all? We'll talk about that next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, we're going to take you right up until 6 o'clock tonight. Terrence Ross is going to join us. Bill Armstrong, the GM of the Yotes, is going to join us. Kellen Olsen will drop in. We'll talk some Suns basketball with him. Uh, with Phoenix Suns, we're all excited about the Suns. Durant has been ruled out for tomorrow's game. Um, so they did rule him out. So, you know, now people that bought their tickets can sell them or not buy them if they thought they were going to go see Kevin Durant's first game. But let's talk a little bit about Chris Paul. We know the legends, Howard. We know that Patrick Ewing didn't win a championship and Carl Malone didn't win a championship and Charles Barkley didn't win a championship. And, you know, I hear Shaq tell Chuck about it every single time I turn on TNT that he's got rings and, and Charles doesn't. Chris Paul, best shot ever to win a championship right now. There was a terrific story that I read that was on, um, I think it was MSN.com, where they've talked about if Chris Paul can't win a championship with Durant, it might be time to drop the point guard moniker. (laughs) If Chris Paul is unable to win it this year with KD, how much do you think, forget about KD's legacy. We've talked about does he have more to gain, Does does he have more to lose. If Chris Paul can't deliver it this year, what does that say about him? Does it say anything? Personally, I don't think it says a lot. I know that so many put so much into that and that you're not whole as a player, whatever your position is or whatever your role has been, if you weren't fortunate enough to be on a championship team. I don't know, Gamble. Maybe I I think a little differently on this, not only with basketball, but with all sports, especially football. You hear it all the time. Oh, if this coach doesn't win the Super Bowl, he, he can't be in the Hall of Fame. Or if the quarterback didn't wasn't on a winning team teams win and that's always been my approach to things and when you get to the playoffs the best teams are playing the best teams and if you just get into one of those series where the other team was just better than you in that series and all you have to do is go back two years ago when the Suns lost to Milwaukee when it sure looked like they were going to get that championship but Milwaukee just did what it had to when it had to if I can repeat that little little couple words there and so does that reflect on Chris Paul yeah you would have liked to see him made a play at the end of the game and instead he had a you know a tough play at the end of the game as as you know as Devin Booker did but you lose to the best when you lose in the championship rounds and I've always thought that a bit unfair that it reflects on a guy and someone says well he's not as great as he really was because he didn't win it shouldn't it shouldn't define your career but it's unfortunate that like it does like if I said to you what Dan Marino what's the first thing you think about Mm -hmm. when you think about Dan Marino yeah, he he got to he only even got to he only one. He got to one early. Super, so yeah, very early, and right. then never did again. But, and the team the team wasn't that good around him, and that's a big and and look at you know Tom Brady's a perfect example. Tom Brady, we we 
is referred to automatically as, quote, as the GOAT because he was on all these winning teams as if there was no other reason those teams won. I mean, there, there were some playoff games. There were some Super Bowls where he wasn't very good, but the team still won because of the defense or special teams or, or a great play here, a great play there. Sure. And, and yet he, he's considered the greatest of all time because he has that many Super Bowl victories. And if, I don't know. If Scott, I, I, Norwood, I, I, if Scott Norwood kicks a field goal, Jim Kelly's yeah. got a Super Bowl ring instead of being exactly. talked about as a guy who lost all four. Fran Tarkenton never won a Super Bowl. And it's just, you know, great, great, great players like Rodgers and Breeze only won one. So, but just having that one, I think a lot of people feel that it does some ways define a career. Back to Chris Paul. Chris, you know, Chris has the, the, the moniker, the point god. But there's a lot of point guards that we could look at and say, you know, that guy's that guy's as good or if not bad. I mean, was is Chris Paul better than Magic Johnson? Probably not. Probably not, right? So I don't know. I think it's just a, it's a, it's a name. You know, it's just, it's just that's what they put on him. He's one of the smartest basketball players ever. His numbers are fantastic. He's never won a title. Like Isaiah Thomas was great. Oscar Robertson was great. Steph Curry. Like there's a lot of point guards that you may say, those guys are as good, if not better, than Chris Paul. But Chris is one of the best that's ever played the game. And right. sometimes I think you have to just define it that way. Who are some of the best players that ever played the game at the point guard position he's going to come up whether you whether he has a championship ring or not we will always look at the greatest point guards that played that game and even if you don't put him number one you're going to put him in the conversation i think that's what matters now i'm with you 100 percent, and i think that's the most logical and sane way uh, to look at it and like you said one of the best and granted we love to debate that's what talk radio and that's what the internet that's what that's what it's all about these days is making lists and who were the best mm-hmm. at everything. And I, I, I always go back, I, I always love to reference the old football coach, Bum Phillips, who went, when Gamble, when he was the, the head coach of the Houston Oilers and Earl Campbell, Earl Campbell yep. was as good as any running back that ever played. And someone asked him, someone said, hey, Bum, is he the best quarterback, or be, the best running back you've ever seen or ever coached? And Bum paused for a little bit. And then in that Texas draw that I cannot even try to imitate, he said, well, I don't know if he's the best, but he's among them. Right, right. And that's, Who is the and best that, running? Who's the best running back you've ever seen? Probably Jim Brown. And okay. yes, I'm old enough to have seen I, him. Yeah, I, but, listen, I know that he played lacrosse at Syracuse. Yeah, he did. And 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 in what? In what <laughs> I, I I remember a great story about how he actually went from a track meet in the spring and during spring he was he ran track to fill in for someone and then left the field to go play lacrosse and scored a whole bunch of goals. He he was just a, just a ridiculous athlete. How about Barry Sanders? Barry Sanders was unbelievable. Right, I mean, never, Walter right, Payton never won, but Barry. To my point, Barry Sanders is, we consider him one of the greatest running backs we've ever seen. He never won a Super Bowl. Exactly. Randy Moss is one of the best wide receivers that I've ever seen in my life. He changed the game. Because what I remember about when Randy Moss got drafted, and you could look this up, the next year, everybody in that division, all they did was draft cornerbacks, big cornerbacks. Because they're like, oh my God, we can't contend with this guy. Everybody was drafting cornerbacks in that division after Randy Moss got to the Vikings. Bruce Smith, one of the best defenders of linemen I've ever seen. There are plenty of guys that we could still say are the best we've ever seen that don't have a championship. So I don't know. I think it shouldn't define you. I don't think, but it does, but I don't think that it should. 
No, I'm with you 100%. I was thinking of Calvin Johnson uh, when you were bringing up Randy Moss. They they hardly made the playoffs uh, when he was in Detroit uh, with the Lions. The team just wasn't that good. And I I think sometimes, especially in certain sports, I mean, you know, basketball is a little different because there's only five on the floor at one time. But when you look at the ultimate team sport, like football, that not only has 11 on the field at the same time, but you have different guys playing defense. You have different guys playing special teams. There's so many aspects of a of a game that can go your way or don't go your way in terms of just losing that game. And so to look at one guy and say, oh, well, he didn't win and, or he never had the championship, I just say, yeah. well, okay, so be it. That he wasn't on a, great, a team great enough to win. But, I mean, hey, in a couple of years, Gambo, we're going to be debating Philip Rivers for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh, I hope he doesn't get in. N- never got to the I, – I think he was one of the best quarterbacks uh, I've seen. I'm really? And, well, and here's the thing. They would always lose to the Patriots and the Colts in the playoffs. And the, the, guy, the guy was an incredible player, but an incredible player. But he, his teams just got beat by better teams an awful lot of the Chargers, time. I'm not, Chargers chose him over Breeze. Breeze went on to have a great career and win a Super Bowl. One of the rare occasions where a team had two good quarterbacks and you know had to give one up. It usually doesn't happen that way. This dead spin story, just by the way, the end of it was pretty interesting. Because the last line says, Paul is no longer the best player on his team. Okay, we know that. But he could be the most important component in the Suns making a deep run this postseason. If the Suns' core four are healthy and don't at least make it to the final, all this point God nonsense needs to cease. He's an all-time great player for what he does, but he ain't no God. That was their last <laughs> line in the dead spin story, just saying if he doesn't win it, don't call him the point God. I think he'll always be called the point God. If he's gonna be, and part of it is he's just one of the smartest players that has ever played that position. I'm with you on that, but I don't know that any player should ever have the word God in their nickname. <laughs> there was God Sham God. You remember him? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I do remember him. Absolutely. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I think that, that might be a little much on, on any player to call them the, the God of anything. All right. He chose the Phoenix Suns over the Dallas Mavericks. Terrence Ross, one of the newest members of the Phoenix Suns. He will join us next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. leader. Coming off the court, you hear it straight from a Suns player with Burns and Gambo. Brought to you by America Roofing, Arizona's number one roofer online at americaroofingco.com. For a free estimate or 10% off any roof repair, that's americaroofingco.com. All right, joining us on the program right now, we'll talk a little Suns basketball. One of the newest members of the Suns, he dropped 16 in his first game against the Clippers. That is Terrence Ross. He joins us at Arizona Sports. Terrence, how are you? John Gamadoro here. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. Listen, before we talk Suns basketball, I want to talk about your your time in the Pac-12 playing for the Washington Huskies. I remember some of those teams. I think IT, I think Isaiah Thomas and uh, Justin Holiday. I think I remember you guys winning the Pac-12 one year. What do you remember about your time at Washington? Um... Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, we had we had a few pros on that team. Uh, it was one of the most memorable like times of my my college experience. Um, you know, obviously Isaiah kind of being the, the head of the snake with that one, but uh, it, it was you know a great atmosphere. It taught me a lot. Um, helped me get to that next level. Yeah, and I think didn't you? you know, and it's so hard to win games in Tucson and McHale. Didn't you guys win a game there one of the, one of those years? 
Yeah, I think it might have been the, the second one. The second year, um, we won off like a block shot, similar to the year before the way we lost it. I think like Derek Williams had blocked somebody's shot right at the buzzer. And then I think the next year we either did, like we got a layup at the buzzer or we ended up in a block shot. It's similar, similar, but yeah, we ended up speaking out there with one. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, I, I can't, there's not many people I can speak to that have gone on the road and won a game at McHale down in Tucson yeah. against U of A because it's one of the great home court advantages in all of college basketball. I mean, it's a, one of the true blue bloods and one of the best in the Pac-12 with a national championship. So to go there and win, that, win a game like that, that you did, that, is, that had to be pretty outstanding. No, it was, it was definitely uh, it was amazing. Uh, the one thing I do remember, you know, about being there was just the crowd was very hostile. I remember when we came out to warm up, everybody was already in the building uh, cheering, yelling, going crazy. So uh, it was definitely a hard place to play. Um but, uh, you know, it was definitely memorable sneaking out of there with the win. All right, let's talk about your decision. You, you get the buyout from Orlando. I know Jay Kidd and Jared Dudley, good friends of mine. I know those guys are trying to get you to go to the Dallas Mavericks. You end up here with the Phoenix Suns. Tell me about the decision to come to Phoenix instead of Dallas. Um, I mean, when was, you know, when I got the buyout, uh, I was, you know, you know how it is, you know, everything's kind of up in the air. And so I was kind of waiting back to, to hear from other, from certain teams. And, uh, you know, I think Phoenix kind of joined the, the recruiting, you know, race a little late, but, you know, I was, I was kind of leaning towards Dallas because, you know, I had a good relationship with the, with the head coach and the GM. But, you know, when I spoke to James and I spoke to Monty, like, they really, you know, they, they really wanted me to come here. And, um, you know, they, they really, you know, they sold me, you know, a better deal to come here than, uh, you know, Mavericks. And, you know, it worked out. I just thought, you know, it would be a better fit for me. Uh, they kind of need what I do. And uh, it just, you know, things kind of just fell into place. Did it come down to just feeling like this team had a better chance to win a championship than Dallas did? Was it Was it as simple as that? Um, uh, that, that, I mean, that was also a big part of the factor, too. Um, I think it's just my role here would have been, you know, just uh, a little bigger than it was in, in Dallas. Um, the way things, you know, it's kind of work out. They kind of needed somebody to help um, come off the bench. And, you know, they just kind of really, you know, pursued me in that, in that aspect. And uh, it just made better sense to come here. I know, I know from years and years of doing this that a lot of times, guys in the buyout market, you get to choose where you want to go, and a lot of times it's, it's based on a promise. Like you're you're told, I'm I'm you're going to get a certain amount of playing time. This is what your role's going to be. Is is that how it works? Were you kind of like you know given uh, a belief that you were going to get a certain amount of minutes on this team, and that's why you came here? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, more so, just kind of like you know just. The bigger impact. I think I would have had a bigger impact here than anywhere else. Um, you know, and I, I think with the way this, the play style and you know, and all the pieces are adding, like these guys want to win now. And um, you know, just that belief system that they that they have that they can do it. Um, you know, that was really something that kind of sold me. And um, you know, they're in a good position to to compete. 
and go far. So, you know, it just it is too good of an opportunity to pass up. Terrence Ross joins us on Arizona Sports. He was a eighth overall pick in the 2012 draft out of Washington. He went to Washington. He was selected by the Raptors. He played for the Magic and now with the Phoenix Suns. Tell me about that first game. It was a loss to the Clippers, but you got 25 minutes. You, you, you shot the ball well. You scored 16 points. You seemed like you fit right in. How how easy is it to fit in on a team like Phoenix? Um, I mean, I, I know you know a lot of these guys from just you know playing in the league for so long and seeing them around the way in the summertime. So you know that part was really good to come in there and just to know that they had the belief in me to go out there and play my style of ball and, and you know that I could help and you know kind of do my thing out there. So that was big. And um, you know when I got out there on the court, you know everything felt you know very natural. Um, Nothing felt like, you know, I just, you know, doing too much or out of my depth. So uh, I had a relationship with some of the guys, and that made it easy for me to go out there and just be me. So um, it's definitely, you know, fun to go out there and play at a high level and to play, you know, versus, you know, the, the West. You know, for me, it's my first time being in the West. So um, it's exciting. You know, I'm excited for all of us, and I um, can't wait to see, you know, what we're going to go going forward. Yeah, and a uh, familiar face with Bismack Biombo. You guys have been at a couple different stops together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Mack, is a, he's my vet, man. Um, I had him in Toronto. Great guy. I think our watches might have been next to each other, but um, great guy. You know, we've always been cool. Uh, he, he made it easier for me on my transition from Toronto to you know, Orlando. You know, helped me get situated. So it just seems fitting that, you know, I follow him to Phoenix and doing the same thing. He's my locker mate again. So uh, it, it's been fun hanging around with some familiar faces. You, you were on that Toronto team for a number of years. Obviously, first-round draft pick. You got traded in the deal that brought them, brought them Serge Ibaka. What was it like as as a as a former Raptor player when they did win that championship? They made the moves. They got Kawhi, and they're able to bring that title to Toronto. As a guy who played there for a number of years, were you, were you happy for them? No, it was for sure bittersweet. It was a bittersweet moment. Um, I still had a lot of guys on that team that I was close with, so seeing some of those guys get all the way to the finals, perform at such a high level, it was it was amazing to see, man. I felt like, you know, I was a part of that too, but um, it, it's also sucks that I wasn't, you know. I was, I was uh, kind of two years removed, but so close to, you know, them having the opportunity to, to go on a championship run. And I, I know what that, that championship means to that city and to their country. Like, it's, you know, Canada is, is huge. It's not just one team. It's like the, it's one team for the whole country. So uh, I know how much that meant to them. But yeah, it was definitely a, a bittersweet moment. Yeah, especially not with the especially with the Vancouver Grizzlies not playing there anymore, right? <laughs> Tell me about it, man. I love Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great city. I've been there. As a matter of fact, I was in Vancouver when Toronto won the whole thing. I, I was there when they won when they won the championship. I was there on a little vacation when they won it. It's a that's a great area. Let, let's let's talk let's talk about this team's chance to win a championship. I think as you get you know into your career, you've been in the NBA since 2012. It's got to be an, an unbelievable opportunity to come here and help this team you know, with the addition of Kevin Durant, still having Booker and Aiton and. Chris Paul, the belief that this team can win a championship, the first ever in, in, in their history, that had to be something that drove you to come play for the Suns. No, absolutely, man. I mean, especially at this, this stage in my career, I'm going into my 11th season, and, you know, I, you kind of want to play to win. Um, and, you know, it's just 
presenting a great opportunity. We have a, a good group of guys, and it's all about you know we, we can get this rhythm going early and, and get things you know rolling quick. You know that'd be ideal. But um, you know we're putting it together. You know we understand what's at stake. We understand you know what's at risk here. But at the same time, that we're all excited. We're all hungry to go out there and compete, have fun, uh, and just take it as far as we can, man. Because this is you know you don't get these type of opportunities often, so you really want to capitalize it as much as you can. Terrence, you know, we've seen how you fit in because you got to play a game. How, how do you feel a, a star player like Kevin Durant, one of the greatest that's ever played this game, how easily do you think he'll fit into this roster? Easily. I mean, it, it's, like you say, he's one of the best players I ever played. Um, I mean, when you have that, you, you take advantage of it. And, you know, he, he's one of the great ones for a reason. He comes in, he does his job, he's, you know, unbelievably talented, skilled, and uh, I think all that's just going to speak for itself. Um, I know everybody's trying to put pressure on him about, you know, bringing the championship and doing all this, but at the end of the day, man, he, he's one of the great ones for a reason. I think he's going to go out there and display that. Do you think about next year and where you're playing at this point, or are you just focused on these next couple of months? No, I think right now i got to focus on, you know, the next couple of months. Like, it's so much like if this is, you know, a different situation where, you know, the team's not doing well, you know, we're not even going to the playoffs or anything like that, then, you know, that would be hard, you know, not to think about. But right now, we have so much on our plate right now that you're just trying to take it day by day. You know, Coach Monty always says, win the day. And um, that's what we. That's how we have to approach it, man. We can't let you know each day get past this without you know making improvements. So uh, taking the small steps to get to where we want to go. Terrence, I really enjoyed the conversation, man. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us here on Arizona Sports. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. That's Terrence Ross, one of the newest members of the Phoenix Suns. Had 16 points in his first game against the Clippers. Shot 7-17. Got 25 minutes off the bench. Really did enjoy that conversation with Terrence Ross. He goes back to his days with Washington in the Pac-12, Pac-10 at that time. That was pretty amazing. Really enjoyed the conversation with him. All right, the Cardinals, their new defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, excuse me, their new offensive coordinator, met with the media today. We'll tell you what he said next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Burns and Gambo need to know. Twitter poll presented by Sanderson Ford. At Sanderson Ford, 51st Avenue in Glendale. They've got over 600 new vehicles in stock right now. So if you're having a hard time with other dealerships because they don't have the inventory, Sanderson Ford, 51st Avenue in Glendale. Go to SandersonFord.com. They've got the inventory. Guys, I don't even know what our poll question is today because Mitch came in and asked me about it. I was like, I got too much on my plate when I got to run this show and Bernsey's out. So you guys are in full control. Eric, you guys always do a great job. What'd you come up with today? Well, DeAndre Hopkins has been a hot name when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals, especially people, frankly, trying to trade him from the Arizona Cardinals. So if you were to look at it from DeAndre Hopkins' perspective, what team would be the best fit for him? Would it be the Arizona Cardinals, the team he's already on? Would it be the Chargers, the Jaguars, or basically any team? We're opening up the floor. Let us know who you think is the best fit for DeAndre Hopkins. So there's no no real answer here. I mean, there is. We have the poll that Three teams are Cardinals, Chargers, Jaguars, because those are two teams that might have been linked to him earlier. Yes. We also have an other right in. So if you want to give any team, you can. All right. There you go. Mm. That's it. I'll say... I'll say Chargers. A lot of people think he's going to go like a New England or a Giants or something like that. 
Uh, I'll go Chargers. Why not? All right, that's up. That's up. Whole question. Where, you guys got an answer? Where do you want to see him? What about you, Howard? Well, I I wonder about. I was thinking Chargers, but then I realized they just spent big money on Mike Williams. They did. Yep. Last year, they have Keenan Allen, and so to bring on DeAndre Hopkins, that's a big contract. Even if they extend it and restructure, and the Jags just spent a lot of money on Christian Kirk. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So, I'm I'm really wondering. I'll tell you today. Jonathan Gannon said this about DeAndre Hopkins when he was asked about him. He said, I have not talked with Hop, but I'm excited to get my hands on him and working with him. Obviously, he's a premier player. Now, if DeAndre Hopkins wants out and is asked to be traded, then that's a different story entirely. But I don't know. I, this this might still be the best spot for him. Of course, he doesn't know who the quarterback's going to be no, to start the no. season, which obviously complicates the entire situation. All right, there's your poll question, sponsored by Sanderson Ford. And you could go on the Burns and Gambo Twitter page, and you could follow that. You could also follow me, Gambo987, on Twitter if you want to do that. Let's talk a little Cardinals football, as today they introduced their new offensive coordinator. It's a name that's been tied to Jonathan in Gannon for uh, some time now. That's Drew Petzing. He was uh, he had media availability today, and the first thing he said was he was asked what attracted him to Arizona. I think a lot of things. I think certainly the organization, you know, my relationship with the head coach, uh, what they're about here in Arizona. So really looking forward to being a part of it and getting in here and getting going. All right, that's him attracted to Arizona, attracted to the place. But the one that really hit was this one, his his thoughts on Kyler Murray. He's been in the building, so I've had a chance to talk to him a lot over the last couple of days, and I got out here, and he's been great. I think he's really attacking the rehab, uh, really excited about what we got going on. So I'm, it's been great to get to know him, and I look forward to that continuing these next couple of days. Yeah, 35 years old, but, you know, he's got a vast amount of experience, Howard. I mean, he's, you know, he's worked his way up the ladder with Cleveland. He started in the NFL. Fell in 2013, and he was with the Vikings for a number of years, and then back to the Browns. And um, but now, you know, this is his first opportunity to be an offensive coordinator with the Browns. He was just the quarterbacks coach, so I right. like that angle. I like that he was a quarterbacks coach because I think you know he's going to have to work hand in hand with Kyler. But the first chance for him, just like the defensive coordinator, to call the plays. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean that's that's going to be the big thing. But the thing I always point out, Gambo, is this. Every coordinator had to do it for the first time at some point in their career. Right. And so there's there's always a... And, and, you know, it's, it's always an unknown. There's no question about it. But I think also there's a certain amount of collaboration that goes into all this. And while we all sometimes want to point to the bad play call and point to one guy, and yes, there's one guy who's making that decision, there are a lot of voices that go into that. And the one thing that I was impressed, Gambo, that Jonathan Gannon uh, said the other day is when he was he was talking about Andy Reid, and he said, he says, I'll never be as smart as Andy Reid, but where I do align with him philosophically is seven or eight brains are better than one. And I think sometimes we forget how collaborative these things can be. And I see this whole thing being about as collaborative as it possibly can. And that's why Gannon is bringing in a lot of young guys with a lot of ideas. They're going to bounce things off each other and come up with what they hope is the best way of doing things. And of course, the key will be having the players who can carry that out. And but the Kyler Murray situation, I mean, 
everyone's ta- who knows when he's going to be able to play. Gannon said to right. Peter King the other day, if Kyler Murray isn't here, I don't take this job. Well, the bottom line is not only when's he going to come back, but will he stay healthy? And that still is one big question about all this. But, hey, he's, we, we know what he's capable of doing when he's healthy and has the right people uh, around him. Fascinated by, you know, him being under center and mm-hmm. how that's going to work. And, you know, that's the and, 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 and Petsing talked about that. He was asked what needs to be done with Kyler for him to improve. One, the rehab. Um, but two, no, I think he's a really talented player. Uh, that was one of the appealing things about this job to me uh, was being able to work with a quarterback of his caliber. Um, but it's about the entire offense and ultimately the entire team. Uh, it's not going to be just about him. Uh, he knows that. I think Jonathan knows that. I think as an organization, we will preach that. Um, we need to build a great offense and a great defense and a great special teams unit to go out and be successful. I think that's going to be really the focus as we head into the season. I, I love that he didn't, the, the way Michael Bidwell and even Jonathan Gannon like kind of gawked at Kyler. He's a lead. He's a lead. I wouldn't have taken his job if it wasn't for Kyler. This entire interview with Pedzing, he didn't put Kyler on a pedestal. I, I want that approach. I want them to knock him down a few pegs. No, you're not not an elite quarterback in this league. You're a, a you're a middle tier quarterback with the potential to be great, but you're nowhere near great. So I think in this approach, what I heard out of Pensing, I didn't hear him prop Murray up to this level that other people in the organization have been doing this past week. No, you make a great point, and I think though there is a little separation here or a delineation, if you will, in terms of what others have said. What they basically said about Kyler Murray is he ha- he's an elite skill set. Well, I think we all would agree with that, right? But the key is making that skill set work with a guy that's 5'10 and not putting him at risk too much with running the football because we know what's happened with that over the last four seasons. And if you're going to go under center with him, then that's going to take a certain amount of work as he... You know, back. You know, as he backpedals, well, not backpedals, but has his back to the defense at center uh, after taking the snap, and then has to f- has to find open receivers yeah. downfield at five foot ten. So those are all things that are going to take an awful lot of work. And the other part of that, though, is when are they really going to be able to work? on all that. It, can, will he have any idea? Will he be able to run around at all in OTAs? Hard to say. Hard to, hard to imagine yeah, well, that that's going to happen. Yeah. So there, there's, there's a lot, obviously there's a lot of work that has to be done here that I think all, all, they all know deep down, but they also don't you know, spell it out specifically to uh, all of us, but it should be obvious to all of us. Uh, the Coyotes had their point streak come to an end last night against the Calgary Flames. We'll talk to their GM, Bill Armstrong, next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.